Thank you for tuning in to Cop with Comic. I'm Brian Cop, and we're with comic Kevin Frolix. Kevin Frolix, how the hell are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Brian? Uh, so nice for you to come on and let us know where you know people can find your online comedy during quarantine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're looking for Kevin Froelich, and hey, who isn't? Uh, you can. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Kevin Froelich, uh, and then on YouTube, uh, Kevin Froelich's comedy is the is the URL. I got the I got the official Kevin Froelich's comedy URL. Dude, you are uh, the only Kevin Froelich who matters to me, man. Yeah, I might be the only one in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, here I'm seeing that you know. Here you can see that you had a trailer to the musical that you wrote and performed in. It's called Great Frontier. But to find the actual musical, mm -hmm. the hour and a half musical, you have to go to the Great Frontier. Like all I did was Googled, I uh, YouTubed Great Frontier musical and it came right up. Yeah, yeah, that's a musical that uh, me and my uh, friend Patrick J. Riley, we, we came up with the idea and wrote the musical together. Um, there's a dedicated channel for Great Frontier. Um, most of them, I think, are in a playlist on my personal page, but it's if you search Great Frontier musical, it's the first one that comes up. The, the full title is Great Frontier, a poorly researched musical about Lewis and Clark. Yeah, tell um, me about that. What's the premise? Yeah, so uh, the premise uh, was... <laughs> the premise was me and Patrick, we, we, we had done like a, a weird, like musical cabaret Halloween show a few years ago where we, we did all of Little Shop of Horrors, but we just improvised the plot and did the songs so that we wouldn't have to get the rights or anything. So it was just like a goofy <laughs> Halloween show that we did. And we had so much fun that we were like, what if we wrote our own musical and we just picked something that we could do? Uh, together because we we've worked together a ton in the past. We used to host a show together. We used, we still perform as a duo um, pretty frequently, and we did like our own uh, one man show together uh, last year. It was a two man one man show, um, but uh, yeah, it was right in like the crux of Hamilton fever. And so when we were brainstorming ideas of like what we could do a musical with, um, I suggested, well, what if we do like a Hamilton thing where we pick a historical event, but we just do zero research in it because yes. Hamilton was so like well-researched and, and <laughs> Lin-Manuel just like became obsessed and like immersed himself. Like, what if we just did Lewis and Clark? We, we thought about like, you know, uh, Neil Armstrong, Buzz, Buzz Aldrin, and like a couple of the Wright brothers. And then Lewis and Clark, we thought would be a really good one because it's one that everybody knows a little bit about <laughs> just enough. And we kind of like saw it as like, oh, we could easily structure it. Like act one is there still on the East coast. Then the middle is them traveling there. And then the, you know, it's just building up to them getting the Pacific ocean. So the premise is that uh, Lewis and Clark are just a couple of uh, janitors at the white house who find a flyer, uh, advertising that there's been an entire you know western uh territory that's been purchased um and they volunteer to be the explorers for it uh lewis really wants to prove his dad wrong and and prove that he can actually do something with his life nice. uh, and they're they're kind of like a couple of codependent friends who just can't function without each other and, and their friendship kind of gets pulled apart a little bit on this journey because uh, Lewis falls in love with Sacagawea who's uh, uh. <laughs> uh, like who meets up with them and that it's very Mel Brooksy and then the, the other there's like a B plot where uh, Thomas Jefferson who we wrote before Trump took office we kind of wrote like a parody of Obama where it's like what if somebody was just so bad at being president like Obama's so poised and professional and eloquent what if we had the exact opposite of that that would be crazy right and we accidentally <laughs> predicted Trump with him um, but 
Jefferson basically just like doesn't want to do any real work. Um, he's mad that Napoleon made him buy the, uh, the, the territories because now he has to, like more states he has to worry about and it's going to make his job hard. So the plan that he comes up with is uh, we'll let these two idiots with no experience go out and explore and that way they'll definitely die out there and then everybody else will just be too scared to explore out there. Ah, so that's that the, way I don't have to manage any more states. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a little uh, bit, it's a little Mel Brooksy. It's also a little like rat race or mad, 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 mad world type of like type of thing going on. Yeah. Mad, um, mad world was badass. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like that. And there's uh yeah, just a lot of nods to other musicals that we like and, and very, it's very like kind of like Marx Brothers, the Abbott and Costello. It's, it's got very, it very much inspired by like that kind of comedy and definitely like Mel Brooks stuff, which we both love. But it's um, the, the anti, anti Hamilton. Yeah, in a lot of ways. And it's also, we have like a Hamilton shows up in it for five seconds during a rap scene. Um, because this is, I mean, Lewis and Clark was happening, that that whole journey was like 1804, uh, you know, right around the same time that the bulk of the Hamilton story takes place. Like it's Jefferson's first term. So we, we were like, oh, there's some overlap. So there's like a rap battle between Jefferson and Adams. Uh, and then Hamilton just walks in, says like a, a real quick, like I'm out, like he does like a, like a one one rap line and then Burr shoots him and then they're all just like oh thank god i wasn't gonna sit through three hours of that and yeah and we just move on from it <laughs> yeah but real quick i mean the hamilton thing is fucked up like i never talked about it it's when people explained mm-hmm. it to me and when i saw you know five seconds of it on the news or whatever i'm like are they fucking rapping is this yeah is this like old white people's <laughs> finally finally getting around to to listening to rap for the first time like 50 years after it was hip like <laughs> like it's, it's I mean, yeah, it's kind of dorky and stupid, right? Like rapping. Uh, I mean, I mean, that musical is just like fantastic, like wall to wall, just like it's it's so clever. There is absolutely something to be said about like, all right, well, like how many other rap musicals did the Great White Way turn down before you know somebody <laughs> made it palatable for white audiences? And that's an absolutely valid criticism, but you know. They're, they are very different worlds. And I, I think one thing that's good about it is, um, you know, and hopefully this <laughs> becomes, you know, real in the future, but like more just straight hip hop musicals will, will get a chance on Broadway because Hamilton kind of proved that, yeah, like there is an audience for that. Right. Um, even though, he, you know, he, he dresses it up in <laughs> American, you know, albeit very whitewashed American history. And, uh, but I mean, it's, it's, it, it's it's a hugely popular musical for for a reason and it's just like such a such a crazy story and what i love about it is that it gets into some history that you know you don't really know about like hamilton other than the fact that he got shot by aaron burr in a duel like we were not taught too much about him we're not taught too much about like why he was important as a founding father and um and so so i do I've, i do really like that but then you know also it was like you know we we were directly making fun of the fact that like here's this well thought out uh meticulously researched and and influenced uh historical musical let's just throw all that out and just make a total you know farce yeah <laughs> your, yours of... is the only one that makes sense to me like the whole hamilton thing <laughs> like you know straight history like in inf- information like the purpose of this rap thing which is unhip today like with these people doing it is is made less hip 
with being a serious, informative historical lesson. I mean, it, it was just a couple seconds. I, I look at that; it's just fucking cringe, cringeworthy, and embarrassing. <laughs> but I guess you have to be in it, and maybe the emotion will sweep you up or something. But I love what I love what you're doing. The whole, the fact that you just make that shit up. And is that what you guys are going? <laughs> is that a formula for your success in the future? Like, are you guys going to keep kind of uh, poking at that uh, beehive and, and seeing what comedy flies out? Yeah, I mean, Pat and I love, love, love working together and like writing stuff for each other. So like, um, you know, like, like this was the, the Halloween show we did that was like heavily improvised. Like we've seen the movie and seen performances of Little Shop of Horrors and like, okay, like I played Seymour and I was like, I know what Seymour's deal is. And, and I memorized the songs and we did the songs very straight. And, but this, like we, we spent like a year writing like a full length script and I composed all the music for it. We found a piano player who could actually play it and <laughs> let me know if I like wrote something because I don't play piano. So we had to find somebody who actually understood you know, if I wrote anything that was impossible to play. And, uh, um, but that's something, yeah, that's kind of something that we've always done is, uh, me and me and Pat's usual formula is like, uh, come up with a silly idea and then just follow the thread until, <laughs> until you get to the end of it. So we, we did like a one man show together, um, last, uh, I guess that was last December. It feels like 20 years ago, just because of <laughs> being in lockdown for so long, but, yeah. um, but yeah, we, we put together a show where the conceit was, I, I have put together a very serious one-man show about being from New Hampshire and moving to the big city. And then in the, like, in the middle of the first scene, uh, the lights go out and then Pat shows up to do this like crazy, like, I was doing cocaine at Studio 54. And it's like this crazy, just like, like overly dramatic, uh, not at all real one-man show. And then we kind of fight it out. Um, and then we just decide, all right, well, we'll just do our, our greatest hits. That's all the only reason people are here. So we kind of just, uh, the thing that me and Pat used to do is we would just come up with like weird bits to do where, you know, very Abbott and costello where it's like, I'm usually just furious at Pat for whatever he's doing. And then he kind of plays off of that. Uh, and so that's, the, you know, hopefully we're in a position where we can do some like more live performance stuff. But um, that that's kind of been our formula is just like, all right, I'm usually mad. Pat's doing something ridiculous. And like, what, what can we do? Or I'll introduce a premise and I'll be like, Hey, let's just do this real, real normal thing. Pat comes in and, you know, totally ruins it. Um, <laughs> like we had one, we had one bit where it was like, Oh, let's, you know, it's fun. Let's do some prank calls together. And I teach Pat how to do a prank call. And then the number he calls is a, uh, a, a guy who is holding a child for ransom. And, <laughs> and then Pat is just like uh, trying to haggle down the price of the kid. And I'm just like trying to get him to, to call the cops. Um, I love that. So this we, kid, yeah, this kid so we do a lot of stuff like yeah, that. This kid shouldn't be this expensive. Come on. We got to right. haggle. Yeah, he's just like, what? He's not even our favorite kid. <laughs> I'm like, Pat, he's not our kid. We don't have kids. We'll talk about that later, not in front of them. Oh, that's perfect. And then I, I watch Oh Hello on Broadway a lot. Is there any overlap, yeah. overlap between your duo and, um, you know, Kroll and Mulaney? Um, I mean, we definitely, that that show was so goddamn funny. Like, I, yeah. I went and saw it on Broadway. Like, so, one of the funniest shows I've ever seen. And actually, the wow. show that was in that, in that space, uh, right before that was at the Lyceum theater and right yeah. before it was this uh, British play called the play that goes wrong, which is just a very serious, like Agatha Christie style play, but like the set keeps falling apart and like actors are messing up their lines and like, just like it just devolves into chaos. And it's, it's so, so funny, like very Monty Python, very British, but also just like so hilarious and accessible. Like I brought, I brought my parents. I think I think my wife and I brought her parents. Like like we've, uh, I've, I probably saw it like three different times because it was just so funny. But um, yeah, like the Mulaney Kroll thing. It's uh, 
uh, I guess, yeah, a little, a little similar in that it's like, yeah, they're, they're another duo. They're playing like straight up just fictional characters, but kind of similarly where like, Oh, hello was so great because they took, you know, a five minute sketch and just added all this personal drama between them. And even yeah. when it, it even like gets it, like when, when they like confront each other about like, you know, uh, uh, like Gil's audition gets blown because yeah. uh, George doesn't like tell them about it. like you actually do feel really be- <laughs> bad for these characters and so yeah. um, and that's something that I've always really liked and and something that it happens in Great Frontier like uh, the friendship between these two guys kind of gets pulled apart um, and uh, and in, in our one man show like it's revealed that Pat booked his show at the same time because he thought my show was boring and he didn't want me to fail <laughs> and then we get like into a huge fight about it and it's like very cartoony but I love throwing love in that. these moments where like people are surprised that like oh they're like actually <laughs> Like there's no jokes in here. We're just like yelling at each other, yeah. and then you know go right back into ridiculousness. Like I've I've always really liked when uh, um I love I love when like you know straight up comedy like movies do that. It's something that also happens a lot in like um old Marx Brothers movies that I love. There's always that moment where like all of the Marx Brothers are just like totally down and out and defeated by whatever villain is in this movie, and they're just like usually they're like sitting on a park bench just like sad, and then just like oh, all is lost and then like Harpo falls over and they all laugh and then they have an idea and they save the day. Like <laughs> all those movies are relatively the same, but there's always like that moment where you actually are like, Oh, the good guys are going to lose. And um, so that's the, yeah, that, that's kind of something we always love to, to throw in there. Now does, did Pat play any role in your folk quarantine album? Um, so kind of mostly, mostly not really. So yeah, I wrote a, um, a folk album during quarantine when, when there were no shows going on and I had a lot more free time. Um, Cause I started, like I, I did music for years and years before ever dipping into comedy. And uh, it's something I still did on the side. And like, I have a couple friends that I'll play with just for the heck of it. And kind of once quarantine started, I was like, Oh, I finally have time to, you know, throw myself fully back into music. And I just started writing like ridiculous songs. Um, the first one I wrote was called working from home. And it was like a, a Springsteen, style song where <laughs> they the government has to close down the factory but everybody's cool with it because they can work from home um, and then i just started like you know it was very much just like any idea i had like i was like oh what if i did an irish drinking song about all these idiots that want to go back out to the bars and yeah. um you know a lot of a lot of things like that and so the first song on it um is was called uh folks how we doing and it's like that's like my hello i'm johnny cash um, <laughs> and every verse of the song is just me getting angrier at the audience because i keep asking how you doing and nobody says anything because there's <laughs> it's just me singing yeah. and i just get more and more angry and then i like have a full-on like outburst where i'm just like guys this is the first track on the album i really need you to participate you just tell me how we're doing and i had some friends record themselves just being like yeah i'm fine all right relax <laughs> and, and and pat's one of them and his his is my favorite one just because like okay geez all right <laughs> calm down kevin god we get it um <laughs> yeah, yeah so, I'm, I'm curious yeah, we're gonna you know i want to talk about you know tracks like i'm gonna speak to your manager which is the final track but, yeah but how did you even find pat like you know like i'm always interested when a duo comes together and then they're churning out quality content. I really want to know, like, how, how did you stumble upon each other? And how did you find out that there was comedy chemistry there? Yeah, I, so yeah, we, we get asked this a lot, like whether, whenever we do any sort of podcast thing, people want to know, like, where do you find, where do you find this type of dude? <laughs> like, like, I mean, Pat was just like, Pat's a few years younger than me. So I met him, I was probably like 23, 24, I'm 32 now. Um, and he was like, maybe just barely or about to turn 21. 
Um, and it was right around Hurricane Sandy, so 2012, I think. Um, another time where comedy basically shut down in the city, as well as other things. But, um, you know, a lot of comedians were just like, shit, we can't perform right now. What do we do? And so me and my then roommate, uh, Will Carey, um, we were both comics. And it was like, oh, what if we just like set up a mic in our living room? And so I literally, like I had a microphone and I had a stereo that I plugged the microphone into. And I just invited like open invite, put a thing on like Facebook or whatever. Um, and there were, at the time there were a lot of comedians living in, you know, around us where, where we were in Queens. And so um, I invited them. I was like, tell whoever, it doesn't matter. And a ton of people came in from Brooklyn. Like I think like 30 like <laughs> some odd people came, which was great. Like for a living you know, room show, you had comedians coming from Brooklyn. Yeah, and it was yeah, 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 yeah. And and some people drove in, like some people like met up and like carpooled together ah. just to like do a set in our living room and it turned yes. into like a big party. It was a lot of fun. And Pat was a kid that like I had seen at an open mic like once. Did not I didn't even really know his name. Um, but he walked from he lives down in Sunset Park. He walked from Sunset Park, Brooklyn to our apartment in Woodside, Queens. What the over hell? the course of like like six hours or something like I think he said he stopped near uh, Atlantic Pacific where the or near uh, Court Square where that um, I think it's a Regal Theater whatever movie theater is there maybe it's an AMC but he went and saw Wreck-It Ralph and that was how he broke up the journey and then walked <laughs> the other like three and a half hours and showed up and I was like oh hey man and then you know he's probably like 20 years old and we're like feeding him beers or whatever and just having a, a good time and so because of that we like knew each other and started hanging out more we as we started like meeting more people in like the Brooklyn comedy scene. Like we ended up spending a lot more time together. He would be like a person that I would like look for when I was out at shows or mics. And, um, uh, and then at a, at a certain point, like he started hosting a lot of different shows and I would be a part of that. Um, there was a friend of ours, Lawson Leong did a show. Um, like he, he recorded like an hour special and asked us to, to open for him. Uh, like he had a few openers, but, um, we were going to like bring him on and we did this weird bit where like I went up and I was like, guys, thank you so much. Uh, before I uh, do my set, I want to bring up my opening act and I would introduce Patrick as my opening act. And then he would uh, introduce his opening act and just make up a character name. And then I would come out as that character <laughs> and we would just do it until all of the audience goodwill was gone. And then <laughs> keep doing it a little bit more. Um, but then uh, we hosted a show together called dynamic duos, which was a, it was an idea that I had after I read the uh, Smothers brothers, uh, documentary i think uh, sorry um, biography smothers brother biography i think it's called dangerously funny um it's a fantastic book i i always recommend it for um people interested in I, either if they are comedians or just are interested in comedy it's it's one of my favorites um and i just love like i mean I, as i've said i'm like a big fan of like old old comedy and i really loved the smothers brothers and i was like oh i'd love to do this and i was like well pat and i have done a couple of things together and i was like hey what if we hosted a show for comedians to do uh duo bits like this um and and so we started doing it we did in the back of a comedy show of a sorry a comic book store um <laughs> called carmine street comics it's on it's on carmine street in the village um and uh and yeah every month we would like book comedians to do any they you could do whatever they want the only rule was it had to be a, a two-person act and we would uh -huh. write like a couple new things for it um and if it didn't work, who cares? We would have another show, you know, the next week. And we, we did that for like two or three years. And that's kind of where we started honing a lot of that, a lot of that stuff. And um, yeah. And so, I mean, then fast forward a couple of years and Pat was the one who like officiated my wedding. And <laughs> our, was it, was our it funny? Did he, did he try to make it funny? Yeah, he tried to. We gave him some restrictions. Like we want this <laughs> to be like an actual wedding, but we did allow him to dress up as a priest. And then as he started the ceremony, he pulled out his collar and like unrolled it. And that was where he had the 
you know the the officiation speech uh, written down so um but that was that was it and then we you know toasts where you can do whatever you want so so he also made a, a humorous toast but but he he did a, a very uh, respectful respectful job and uh yeah but that's that's how i met pat <laughs> i love it and then i mean looking i'm looking at some of the other tracks on the folk album um you know first of all how how can you it is comedy right i mean it's totally comedy and so how, yeah. how is it folk because of the instrumentation you're using yeah i mean the instrumentation and like just the 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 musical style is very much just like you know pete seagree or irish folks folk songs or you know woody guthrie type stuff it's all um you know acoustic guitar banjo harmonica there's some acoustic yeah. piano in there that i threw in um i'm going to speak to your manager it has like a, a very twangy like telecaster type guitar on there of course. Um, but it, it yeah but it's all like very it's i mean it's, i guess it's not it's not all folk like some of it's closer to like you know more country you know or there is an irish folk song on there there's some stuff that's kind of inspired by like folk rock like some warren zivani sound and stuff but okay. um but it's also like none of the songs are are serious like they're all like i've i've i don't i wouldn't i've i can't write serious lyrics without feeling really stupid about it like if some of the, i've i've never really paid attention to lyrics of songs because like yeah. if you re, if you if you read lyrics straight you're just like well this is just like very pompous so i've always yeah. enjoyed and that's why I've, I've always really enjoyed like warren zevon and frank zappa and tom waits like people like that because their lyrics even though the songs are like fantastic like the lyrics are very like tongue-in-cheek and not entirely you know not entirely serious or self-obsessed or anything like that yeah so, but, tom, tom waits has filipino box spring hog which is one of the one of the fun, <laughs> funner songs I've, I've heard but you yeah. kind of answered my next question which is you know at what point did you decide uh to do comedy music instead of just music it sounds like lyrics being laughable is, is one reason why you you know you you honed in on, on comedy music yeah yeah i mean it's always like comedy has always been a focus um even though i've i've liked music and uh, you know, there's plenty of music that I will listen to that have very serious lyrics, but it's just not what I enjoy writing. And it's also not what I think I would be able to pull off. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so that, that was why I did that. And also, you know, I'm listening to like, uh, you know, you listen to like old folk songs or old, uh, country songs, like a lot of it is very easy to make fun of, um, and like even the first song, like "Hello, I'm Johnny Cash," such a iconic line that starts off that Folsom Prison yeah. <laughs> album. But just like if, like that first one was just like, "Oh, what if Johnny Cash had like a total meltdown on stage?" <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so and and there's also like you know some of the sketch comedy background that I have like went into writing the songs where it's just like, all right, the first verse sets up everything, and maybe the first chorus is like where the punchline comes in. Verse two is like you know just like writing a sketch like it's going to build off of that it's going to be different jokes or somehow heightening it and then the third one is just like you know third verse is just like total crazy town maybe there's a bridge in there where it like gets real serious again <laughs> but then like the third verse just like undercuts it so so you can kind of i kind of wrote the songs the same way that i would like think about writing a sketch where you don't give everything away right in the first verse and yeah um, there was there was also like a, an interview with Weird Al that I had heard that made a lot of sense where it's like the hardest part about writing a comedy song is you can't just do like the same chorus each time because people have already heard the, ah. the jokes. And, and it's something I I never really noticed, but then like I went back and like listened to a bunch of Weird Al stuff and I was like, oh, he has to write like a brand new chorus for each one so that there's <laughs> new jokes uh, and the song still works. Like maybe there's one line that's a hook, but like all the punchlines have to be different. So that makes your comedy album even more impressive. But the fact that uh, 
that Kevin Frolix wrote t- 10 songs too many during quarantine. Everybody else, there's no pressure. You don't have to write. <laughs> I don't know that any other comics are writing an entire album, but you know, you know, they, they should, they should look up to Kevin Frolix at this time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. But yeah, so Kevin Frolix, I follow you on Twitter and also it's got your band camp link there where I can look at the hilarious songs, including, I love the premise for everything's disgusting, which well, mm-hmm. no, the other one, I, I see it on your YouTube YouTube channel, the whole working from home thing where, you know, everybody gets laid off from the factory, but they're cool with it because uh, they can work from home. That's fucking hilarious. So okay, yeah, we're going to, we're going to keep a laughing at Kevin Frolix during the quarantine. And then after it, we're going to see hopefully another, are you going to do another kind of stage production of Great Frontier or no? I, I would love to. Yeah. We like right now, just like live theater is kind of on pause, like yeah. all entertainment is, but um, it's, we, we kind of took a break from it after, I mean, we, we wrote it in end of 2015 to end of 2016, did a show there to like test it out in front of people and then honed it, got a lot of feedback, sent it out to people to like read it and give notes on it. We did a four show run at the New York theater fest in 2017 honed it again after that added like new songs took some songs out and did an eight show run at the pit uh pit loft in 2018 and then we felt kind of burnt out on it but now honestly i was like re-looking at it again and uh, <laughs> kind of want to hone it again and at least like maybe not put a full run of it together right now but at least maybe send it out to some like um festivals or contests like get some more like professional eyes on it and, and get some more feedback on it and keep working on it i think i think after after a year off I feel ready to actually like look at it again because it was three and a half straight years of doing nothing else. Well, at least for me, you are my antidote to Hamilton. So Kevin Froelich, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.